Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Tuesday, June the 27th, 2023. Today, my return guest is U.S. tax lawyer, Virginia Latora Jeeker. And we are going to discuss a topic that is extremely important, but almost overlooked in the context of renunciation or giving up the green card collectively, which would be referred to as expatriation. Virginia, welcome. Great to speak with you again. Hey, John. Always nice to speak to you and be welcome back to your podcast. All right. I think that what we ought to do is I invite you to introduce our topic today and then we'll pick it up from there. Right. Okay. Well, the topic today deals with U.S. recipients of gifts or inheritances from a former American. And when we say former American, it can be someone who gave up their citizenship or as you've mentioned, someone who's given up a green card that they have held for a significant period of time. So these people can be subject, these U.S. recipients of gift or bequest from that former American can be subject to a 40% transfer tax on the value of what they got from the former American, unless they can prove that the former American was not a so-called covered expatriate. And today's discussion will involve what kind of record keeping needs to be done? What kind of things should that um, former American be making sure he has in his files to give to his loved ones in the event of leaving them a gift or bequest at a later time so they can avoid this transfer tax liability? 40% is a big chunk of change to give to the IRS. Now that is that is shocking and that is amazing. And before we get to the record keeping though, let's work on the context of this a little bit. So this would apply if the US person receives a gift from somebody who when they expatriated was a covered expatriate, correct? That's correct. A gift or an inheritance. Okay, but it has to be from a covered expatriate. Perhaps we could begin by reminding listeners of what the conditions would be for one to be a covered expatriate. Right. Okay. So the law says you are a covered expatriate, assuming your expatriation occurred after June something in 2008. You are a covered expatriate if you have a net worth of $2 million or more on the expatriation date or you have a certain amount of tax liability. That means U.S. tax that you have paid. They look at the average over a five-year period prior to expatriation. And that number, it's a dollar threshold. If you meet that threshold, then you will be a U.S. Uh, covered expatriate. But they look at um, year by year, it's indexed for inflation, that threshold. So if you expatriate in 2023, the average income tax liability that will cause you to surpass the threshold is if it's over 190,000 US dollars. So people get confused and they say, what if I earned over 190,000, I'm going to be a covered expat? No, we are not looking at your income over the past five years. We are looking at how much tax you paid 
and you add up the past five years of how much income tax you've paid, and you divide by five, and that will give you the average. And if the average comes up to 190,000 or more, then you will automatically be a covered expatriate. And just to and, be clear on that, Virginia, that's U.S. tax paid, not total worldwide tax paid, right? U.S. tax, that's right. The bottom line of your U.S. tax. So if if you've gotten foreign tax credits, you, you take them and use them and you have a lower amount of U.S. tax that's going to be owed, you look at your bottom line of what you paid for U.S. tax in yeah. each year okay um the other the final way you can become a covered at expatriate and remember it's if you meet any one of three tests you don't have to meet all three it's any one of three the final one is if you do not certify under penalties of perjury that you have met all of your u.s tax liabilities and paid all of your U.S. tax for the uh, five-year period prior to the expatriation date. So in other words, people need to be tax compliant for the five-year period prior to the time they give up their, their American status. And, and that would include being form compliant too, right? Having filed all the required information returns? Yes, yes. It's not just, it's everything. It's employment tax, gift tax, estate tax, excise tax, which people always forget about, um, and that you filed all the foreign information returns like Form 8938 or Form 5471 or 3520, depending on your situation. That sounds like that could be a huge job in and of itself. Isn't that really almost a double certification? I mean, people certify that the return is filed correctly at the time they file it, and then this is this really a second certification with a five-year look back yeah yeah um sadly <laughs> what i see a lot is you know unfortunately people go on the cheap as much as possible to get their tax returns prepared and they may be using tax return preparers that are not fully knowledgeable in the international areas which you and i both know are extremely complicated so quite often what we find is that when you look back at the five years and review their situation, that there will always, not always, but there will often be problems with um, not having been fully tax compliant. Would you say that as a general rule that you need a higher degree of tax compliant for renunciation purposes than you do if you want to remain a U.S. citizen? Well, I think... When you're looking at the expatriation area and the IRS has a campaign now to be auditing expatriation uh, individuals who have expatriated, that um, you may get caught up in something due to an error in your prior tax filings that might otherwise completely go unnoticed and cause you no problems if you continued as a U.S. citizen. And just one other, uh, one other point on this. Um, would you agree that given that the end game is filing the 8854, that 
those five-year returns have to align properly with the 8854 in terms of assets disclosed and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is another area where we see, we see problems. Yeah. Yeah. All of which is to say that the world of expatriation is far more complicated than it seems. And it is important to not be a covered expatriate for really two reasons. If you could elaborate on what are the consequences of being a covered expatriate? Okay, well, I think the main the main reasons are the covered expatriate is subject to something called uh, this exit tax when they expatriate everything they own worldwide, not just U.S. assets, but worldwide assets are treated as sold on the expatriation date and the pretend gain that has been earned on this pretend sale is taxed to that U.S. individual as if he actually sold those assets. Um, unfortunately, of course, many people don't have liquid cash to pay <laughs> this pretend tax liability, which can be very, very significant. Or actually, um, it's, it's real tax on fake income, isn't it? Yes, that's a good way to put it. Real tax dollars on phantom income that you don't have. So the IRS doesn't care about that issue. You okay. have to pay. And the second, the exit tax is the first part of it. But for what we're getting into today is really a second consequence of it, for which for families, I think, is probably far worse. Would you agree with that? Yes. And I find that, you know, many people don't seem to be advised on this transfer tax liability um that which surprises me I, i've had cases where you know the u.s people giving up typically it would be a green card actually where they had a u.s family member you know especially u.s children that you would imagine they definitely want to leave an inheritance to were not advised that um the children could be subject to this transfer tax if the um, individual was a covered expatriate when he gave up. So uh, there's not as much focus on this as there should be, is my my view. I don't and know I if you're finding that. probably right, but um, would you maybe agree or disagree with this statement that I'll make? Um, the, it's the full amount of the gift that's subject to the tax, whatever it is at that time. In other words, it's not tied to the net worth at the time of renunciation. So... That's no, right. The person could be, I mean, take this case, John. The person could be a pauper when he gives up his U.S. citizenship. He doesn't meet the net worth test. He doesn't meet the tax liability threshold. But he fails to file and certify he's been tax compliant. And then um, several years later, he comes up with this grandiose business idea and earns a gazillion dollars and becomes really, really wealthy. And after that point in time, he dies and he leaves a, a gazillion dollars to his children who are U.S. people. What's going to happen there? He's going to be a covered expatriate. He's going to be a covered expatriate. Doesn't matter that he had nothing when he expatriated. He wasn't tax compliant, didn't certify. So he is automatically a covered expatriate, as we discussed, and the 40% transfer tax imposed on his U.S. recipients of that bequest 
um, is going to be assessed on the value at the time of the gift or bequest. So it's worth a gazillion dollars. They have to pay 40% at that time. And there will be no discussion that, oh, when my father died, he didn't have anything. That's not the test. That's not the issue. This, this is amazing stuff. And I agree with you that this is either not well known or not well understood or both. So it would seem to me that and this has been my experience with this stuff is that, you know, this initiates the discussion of what I would call the family renunciation. You know, everybody renounces to avoid this kind of problem. Could you comment on that? I wish it was that simple. I wish it was that simple. Um, typically, what I find is that some of the family members, the children, let's say, have gone to school in the States. They have now established themselves in America. They like America. Let's say they're in their 30s. They're young and carefree, and they're not thinking the same as a 65 or 70-year-old is. And they don't want to give up they want to keep it. So you then are faced with the problem of now I have part of the family who is U.S., part of the family who is not U.S., and how do I deal with this? And and that's when the planning becomes really, really tough. Yeah, I can see that. Big trouble. Okay, so let's move now to the whole issue of, you know, life is often not about truth, but it's about proof, right? <laughs> yes, it certainly okay. is in this area. So, so you know, the way you're describing this, I think you're correct, but you're describing it very well, is that there may well be circumstances where somebody has to prove that that inheritance they got did not come from a coverage patriot, right? That is that is what's happening. That is All right. So how, how do you meet that standard of proof? No, no, I didn't receive this from a covered expatriate. We know my father wasn't a covered expatriate. Well, this is a this is a problem. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Um let's assume that you know you're advising a client and they're listening carefully and they want to do everything right. So you tell them, well, we have proposed regulations out by the IRS. They have not been adopted. They are not final, but they do give us the idea of what the IRS is thinking and what may be coming down the road. So the proposed regulations came out, trying to remember the year, um, some time ago. Um, they came out in 20. 15, okay, the proposed regs came out in 2015, dealing with the transfer tax on um, gifts or bequests from covered expatriate. And essentially what these proposed regulations say is, well, um, the burden of proof, and by the way, I believe this is in the code as well, code section 2801, as well as the regulations, the burden of proof lies with the U.S. recipient of the gift or bequest to establish that they did not get that asset or cash from a covered expatriate. So failure to provide sufficient proof means you're going to be hit with this transfer tax, which is not good. Um, so how do you prove it? First of all, let's look at how's the IRS even going to know 
employees always ask you that. How are they going to know? Well, do you remember there's a form 3520, part four, Roman numeral part four, which mandates that you report the receipt of a gift or a bequest from a foreign non-U.S. person if the amount was over $100,000. So you, under current law, have an obligation to reveal if you've gotten a gift or a bequest from a foreigner, which that former American would be, um, you have to report that you got that on the form 3520. Right and now- And if you don't report it, that subjects you to an independent penalty, right? That's correct, which can be up to 25% of the value of the gift or bequest. So not a small penalty. Um, so the current form does not ask, well, was that foreign person ever a U.S. citizen or a U.S. green card holder? Currently, it doesn't ask that, but trust me, it will in due time be amended by the IRS to ask that question because that's how they're going to find out about these people who have received gifts or bequests from former Americans and they can start their audit. They can say, well, prove to me that um, this was not a covered expat. So right now we don't have the mechanics in place, but it, for sure it's gonna come. And the proposed regu uh, treasury regulations go back in time saying you need to file whatever this is or do whatever we say if the person expatriated after this June 2008 date. They are not saying, oh, you only need to worry about this the day we finalize the, the regulations. They are going back in time to 2008. So can you imagine, where do you, you know, now you're someone getting a gift or bequest from a, a former American. How do you, how do you prove it? I mean, you know, 2008 was already a long time ago, John. <laughs> With a lot more people being covered expatriates because of inflation. Of course, that too. Protest, yeah. That too. So here's what, what I suggest. Um, the, the regulations do not specify what you have to do to prove that the person was not a covered expatriate. I don't know, maybe in due time, they'll give you more hints, but here's what I think you should be doing. You should consider keeping a very comprehensive file. The former American has got to keep a very comprehensive file and inform his lawyer family lawyer, and all the kids and all the other possible people who are U.S. people who might get a gift or bequest from him in the future and say, look, this is what the rules say. You're going to have the burden of proof to say I'm not a covered expatriate. I may be dead. Um, so let's have the file ready and do the best we can. And I would say what you need absolutely is to have Proof of that tax compliance for the five years prior to the expatriation date. 
So you maintain copies of the tax returns, what was sent to the IRS, your proof of mailing or your courier that they got it on time, all of that stuff. Um, everything that you reported and included like your foreign financial, uh, specified foreign financial assets, they were reported on form 8938. Make sure you have all of this stuff with the tax returns. Um, FBARs as well, even though we all know we can have an argument that you don't need proof that the FBARs were filed because that's not a tax obligation. It's a Bank Secrecy Act obligation. I would have all of that stuff anyway, that the person has met all of their tax liabilities. What I have tried to do is get the actual tax returns from the IRS. In other words, if you write to the IRS and say, I would like a copy of my you know, 2020 tax return, they should send that to you and they have their stamp on it that it was sent to, sent to you by the IRS. So that's the, the proof that they actually have it. I have tried to get that kind of proof for people that have expatriated. And a lot of times the IRS says, well, we don't have them anymore. After seven years, we destroy. Even, at, even before the seven-year mark, they weren't able to give me certain forms. So that's not a good sign. So don't expect that you're going to tell the IRS, send me a copy of my dad's tax return from 25 years ago. <laughs> They're not going to have it. So it's going to be up to you to have that file with meeting that burden of proof that all of the tax compliance was met and he did everything he needed to do, um, have all copies of the relevant expatriation forms that were issued by the Department of State. Make sure you have that IRS form 8854 that has to be filed by all expatriates, whether they're covered or not, because that's going to um, state the person's uh, net worth, that they've met their prior tax liabilities. It will have the date and the manner of expatriation, so the Form 8854 and the final tax year filing, which is a dual status tax year, is very important as well to have that. So, so for I, me, it makes sense that, you know, a year or so after the, the final filing, the dual status return, the 8854, to, to get copies of these returns from the IRS at that point. Absolutely. That should be part of the deal when you are advising the client. Am I seeing that? Absolutely not. Other than, you know, the people I've been advising. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. People are not aware that this is a hurricane that's about to hit their house. What about an affidavit from a, from a, uh, an advisor, a lawyer, or somebody, you know, uh, confirming this as well? Confirming what? That the person met their tax obligations? Well, confirming that the person was not a covered expatriate for these three reasons. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, look, it can't hurt, but I think the proof is in the pudding where you say, hey, IRS, you have proof of my tax returns. You see it right there that I've met all my tax liabilities. There were no audits. Get I get transcripts. The IRS will be able to usually send you a transcript if they can't send you the actual tax returns, which will give you, you know, a summary of information. 
Well, what about on the net worth issue? What about on the net worth issue? Yeah, that one, the only thing you're going to have is the 8854. Right. Okay. But I, I would say this. Um, currently, 8854 is what you have. They don't tell you you need to have appraisals. In fact, the instructions tell you generally you don't need appraisals. Okay, but of course, if you're advising a client with a closely held family stock, okay, company, or real estate in a foreign country where, you know, it will help absolutely to have an appraisal. You don't want to get in an argument with the IRS, you know, 20 years later where they say, well, we don't think the value was <laughs> as stated here. We think it was more. Well, um, certainly, the closer you are to the two million, the more that makes sense. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, right now, um, we don't have, you know, uh, the IRS listing documents that we should have. I don't know that they will. I don't know that they will. But um, I think. People should definitely be gathering whatever they can. I think they should be getting professional guidance on this and uh, seeing, you know, what else they can put into their file that will help them establish that the individual was not a covered expat. Well, and then I would, then I would think that, you know, I mean, the kindest, most generous, gracious gift you could give to your heirs in advance would be a copy of all of this documentation before you die. Of course, you've got to keep Just all the stuff in your wills. Presents under the tree. Everybody's there. They open these packages. What is it? It's a copy of my 8854 and my tax returns. Someday you may need it. Yep. Yep. Uh, sad but true. And the scary thing is, John, as I've said, what I'm seeing, people expatriate, they're not covered expats, and they think they're done and dusted with the whole thing, and they're not. Not if they've got U.S. people in their family, et cetera, that they will be leaving gifts or inheritances to. Virginia, it's complicated being a U.S. person, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, it certainly is. It certainly is. And when you try and get rid of it, but you still have people in your family who are U.S. people, oh boy, you know, there's so many issues that come into play. Yeah, it's definitely very sticky. So, I mean, bottom line is that you've got to have copies of all of this stuff. It has to be clear where the copies are. And mm -hmm. frankly, I think that, you know, your your heir should get copies of this while you're alive. Just Absolutely agree. Absolutely. And sit down and explain to them. This is what you may be up against. And, you know, I, I believe that as the heirs to be understand the complexity of all of this, and as they mature and get an appreciation for the effort put in by their, let's say, their parent to acquire the assets they have acquired, it might push them to really start thinking about, gee, should I keep my U.S. status? Well, you know, that's that. I think more and more people are going to be forced to ask that question. Um, well, you know, part of the thing is, 
uh, just, you know, as we bring this to an end, uh, you know, you and I both saw yesterday this, uh, this appeal of the Ninth Circuit uh, decision on the transition tax, right? You know, the issue being what is income? And as U.S. as U.S. laws get more and more complex and everything, I think there's going to be more and more incentive to simply get out of this, partly because of the difficulty of understanding any of it. Absolutely, absolutely. But anyway, I think this. I think you make some fantastic points, which I agree with you are are completely overlooked. You know what I hear from a lot of people? They say, "Oh well." Don't worry about that. They haven't been enforcing it. I think that's crazy, <laughs> crazy talk. Uh, I mean, you know, in the old days, people were saying, don't worry about FBAR. They're not enforcing it. Mm -hmm. you know, do you think if we were to go back 15, this is 2024, 15 years ago was 2009. Virginia, you think we'd be having this discussion 15 years ago? My gosh. Not even close, right? No, no, no. It's interesting, John. I've been going through a lot of my paper files. I don't know if you've taken that horrible task up lately, but I found some articles I wrote. I had a file on articles I wrote when I was living and working in Hong Kong. I see I'm a prolific writer. There in you any are. event, I am, I know. <laughs> okay, so I found an article I wrote in 1995, with the Clinton administration proposing the exit tax. I would love to see that. Why don't you send it over? We ought to do a podcast just on that. Actually, I've already shredded it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you think you're a tax lawyer. You are that. But more importantly, you're a historian. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I did save some scrap paper that wasn't, uh, what do you call it, you know, um, confidential. So let me see if that article might be in the scrap paper. You know, God, I think that would be a fascinating podcast. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. Anticipating the exit tax. Did that happen in 95? It sure did. And that was when they were changing all the grantor trust rules. It's also, it it's also, by the way, at the point where uh, Treasury was redoing the entity classification rules. That's right. right. We had a lot uh, going on. Which inflicted incredible damage on Americans abroad as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, those Clinton years, uh, you know, what's that song to serve with love those school year, schoolgirl years? Or yes. Those Clinton years. Yep. Amazing. Well, anyway, great conversation today, and I thank you for this. Uh, now, this is this podcast you're going to sort of insert in a blog post you've got on this. Is that the idea? Yes. Yes, I'll be um, getting a blog post up on this shortly, and I will definitely include the this discussion. And on that note, you know, you are a prolific writer, which includes, but is not limited to your blog. I highly recommend your blog to all listeners. And Virginia, where would people access this blog? Okay, it's www.us-tax.org, O-R-G. Interestingly enough, 
I said that to a client the other day who said, I want to find your blog. And when I said hyphen, they didn't know what I meant. <laughs> so just in case you're not sure what a hyphen is, it's it's the little dash mark. <laughs> um, it's not the underscore. It's the other one. All right. It's a, a good way to describe it. It's it's worth the ex the effort to find it for sure. It's great stuff. I, you know, I think that I think I actually consider you to be probably the the world's greatest sort of retail tax lawyer. Uh, oh, thanks. Know, making, making this information available to the masses. Anyway, in, in an understandable fashion. That's the big. Yeah. Thing. No. Well, that, that that that's your gift. That's your gift. It's great stuff. Well, thank you. All right. Any final thoughts on this? Uh, none really at the moment. I just want to add, I had found and I didn't save it. I wish I had saved it. I can maybe try and find it again. I had found the IRS. It was an IRS notice of some sort saying, these are the treasury regulation projects we need to really work on. And this 2801 regulation project was one that was listed. So I think that we may be seeing some regulation come out sooner rather than later on this 2801 transfer tax. Well, uh, I, you know, who's who, who can know? You may very well be right. But what I think is indisputably correct is this. It's better to not be a covered expatriate and it's worth figuring out how to avoid it. Agree? Absolutely. 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 And then be able to prove it after. Well, that's the other issue. If you've got U.S. people, hopefully they've all gone <laughs> away. For U.S. citizens, life is nothing but a search for proof. It is. It is. So, it John, is. it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you again soon. All right. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Virginia. Okay, bye-bye.